Soul Surmise with Steve Stockman, looking at issues of faith and culture. Welcome again to the Soul Surmise podcast with myself, Steve Stockman, and I'm delighted to have Zach Troughton from True. Hello. With, a, with, with that wee photo on the end, <laughs> it's true. True. There's no true. Yeah, it's true. True. It Perfect. True. Yeah, that's it's, it. That's it's, great to, it's great to have you, and I know there's three of you, and when you're blending your harmonies, we need all three of you in the room, and that's what we're going to be doing at the Four Corners Festival mm-hmm. in February. But uh, today we've got Zach, so I'm going to talk about you, Zach, and I suppose I'll talk then about how you got together with the other guys. But tell me the earliest memories you have of music in your house. I- I'm interested in this because my children are getting into their 20s and I'm thinking, how did I use them or abuse uh-huh. them? <laughs> you know, what what was the, the music growing up for you? Well, the main memories I have of music in the household as a child would be the albums that we had you know, repeatedly in the stereo or in the car. So, Abba Gold, the Eagles, Best of the Eagles. Well, there's harmonies there. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, I think that definitely played yeah. a part. And Share, uh, just <laughs> Nina Simone. <laughs> my, my mother, she is a massive Motown fan, so it was a lot of Motown. And my dad, um, he had a whole range of stuff that he that, that sort of seeped in. Anything from, like I said, Eagles, Led Zeppelin, but he always he had his sort of hand in the trad world as as well. So, um, so the Bothy Band, okay. Paul Brady, mm-hmm. those albums sort of um, peered out as well. So, I well, think that's quite a mix from uh-huh. shared Zeppelin to Paul Brady, um, Bothy Band. As you're growing up, then when do you remember? making one of the sounds around you your own what was your first musical loves yourself I think so I started with piano first piano lessons in school I absolutely hated it and I could never I enjoyed the sounds but it, it didn't I didn't have that love until until um, my dad had so I dropped the piano anyway and my dad had this old beat up guitar and then when I started when I picked that up and he taught me a few chords, and a few. Uh, he had he had these funny, funny like um, one hundred country songs. So sort of learning those, you know, learning those songs, having those chords, and that's when that world, the, yeah, the world of music opened up. I think for me, um, because with the guitar, I could then play all these songs that I loved from the Eagles. <clears throat> Led Zeppelin. Well, it took a few years for Led Zeppelin, but um, you're always practicing "Stairway to Heaven," aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So I think that was, and then 
in school that I had a great great music teacher in school and then there was a point when playing the guitar and I was singing a bit as well and then I started as a teenager that's when I started forming bands and writing my own songs so that's and this is all happening around Lisburn so you're yeah. you're forming bands around there mm-hmm. um, and what sort of scene was there for a young band in Lisburn when you were doing that it was fantastic yeah. there was the bands at that time, some of the best bands that you that you'd that you'd hear for that sort of rock, alternative rock music. Um, a lot of them were from Lisburn, you know, like Mojo Fury, Ego, what, Six Star Hotel, yeah, to, yeah. to name to name a few, and uh, and going to there was great gigs on all the time. I remember the Island Arts Centre used to have a, I think it was a Thursday night. They had a, you know, it was a fiver in sort of thing. And it was always, it was just great local bands. And and it was, you could, you could go in underage sort of thing. So yeah. it was, that was a real, that was a real eye-opener for me about people from your town that you were maybe friends with or whatever, or you knew them. They were, they were on the stage. They were on the stage. So you're like, right, we can do that. That was, yeah, a big and, inspiration. And did you do that then? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So that's when, yeah. And so what sort of sound have you at that point? So this is like a sort of, um, so first band, we were called Inner Cities. And it was like uh, a rock, I was playing guitar and singing. There was four of us, bass, guitar, drums, standard sort of rock setup. Um, Just uh, bizarre, listens back to the stuff now, I actually found a CD of it. And it's uh, there was ne- never any choruses for some reason. Oh. It was always, okay, what's the next section? What's the next section? What's the next section? So this bizarre, like, uh, never-ending, like, <laughs> um, rock odyssey thing. But uh, that was fun. Um, how long is it then? Because you said to me earlier that you found yourself in Dublin then. Did you go to mm-hmm. Dublin with music in your head to do, or was there other reasons to go to Dublin? Yeah, so... Was it a girl, a job, or the music? <laughs> it was... I think it was all three. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I... So in school, I started singing in choirs in, um, with uh, David Faulkner, who was a great music teacher uh-huh. and a good, good friend. And he was always very encouraging of... Uh, music and our everyone accessing music and things like that he was probably the first I think in school was the first time I encountered the Irish language because he would get us to sing we'd sing um, pieces from a group down in Dublin called Anuna mm-hmm. and uh, then it ended up when I left school I went down to Dublin to audition for that group and um, so I started singing with them after school after I left school. That's quite something to yeah, get, that get was in, great. in at that stage. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, and so, so it was down, still in Belfast, but it was down in Dublin all the time. Mm-hmm. And then for the next few years, we were touring worldwide with them. So that, um, we went to Japan, China, all over yeah. Europe, North America. That's why Japanese spirits appear in your songs Absolutely, now. yeah. We did this amazing show with the... Um, a Japanese theatre, no theatre company. But then uh, that's where I met Donal. So Donal was okay. in Anuna as well. So we started, and that was the sort of 
beginnings of True. Because <clears throat> we would, um, you know, we'd go off on the on the bus or in the hotel rooms, and we'd be arranging folk songs and singing them together. And how did you? I mean, how did you discover that? Because there you are in this wider group. Mm-hmm. How did the two of you think? Here we have something here. We could have something here. Or let's try something here. I'm always interested in what spark might not have happened, or yeah, uh-huh. you know. So what what caused you to do the Crosby, Stills, and Nash thing and get into that space? Well, I think we both grew up with with that sort of. We both loved Eagles, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Johnny Mitchell, that lovely, you know, Southern California mm-hmm. thing, and. Uh, and we're together singing, so you know we're gigging every night, and we're singing this this other music, but a lot of it would be folk yeah. stories, folk tales, yeah. um, folk songs, and uh, we just felt that because we just had so much time on our hands, and there was always I was playing guitar as well with the group, so was, there was always a guitar about, so it was to, and we just connected over over our love of music and those sorts of things and we just started to yeah just as something to do to pass the time and then we're like okay we have we're maybe on to something here and then it was Donald's idea he was like what about we getting another person Graham Nash wasn't available <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> called him up no answer <laughs> but uh, so when I was gigging about in Lisburn that's when I had met Mike so I still I still was playing sort of rock stuff as well with him and okay, his uh, okay. groups and things like that. And because uh, he was living across the road from me outside of Lisburn. Um, and then so I knew that he had never delved into the world of folk or trad before. Right. Um, but he was always, he was always up for, mm-hmm. always up for a, an experiment. And, um, and I'd, I think Donald was, we were really keen on the harmonies being the main thing. So we're like, it would needs, needs to be someone who we can sing with. And I had been singing with Mike. You know, singing harmonies with him for years and with Donald for years. So so the three of us, you know, we, ha- we have those years under the belt of singing together that sort of makes those harmonies. So then we all got together one night around at Mike's old farm studio. And uh, just sort of listened to a few things and talked about some things and started. That's what, so then started recording songs then, and that was the you, the mean, beginnings of the first album. So you're recording songs almost as an experiment, but <clears throat> they're going somewhere. And mm-hmm. you do this beautiful blend of older songs and some old songs mm-hmm. reworked. Um, yeah. um, so what are you doing at that point? Are you just finding yourselves with old songs, or already are you throwing? New songs. So the initial, so the beginning of the recording process was we were all looking into the songs of our local area. So old folk songs for local area. So Donnelly had, you know, the Morns and Morn Point and Uri. And myself was around the lock, you know, Antrim, Lisburn, and looking into, yeah, just sort of digging up what can we find and then what things are relevant to to us what things would work for us and then yet at the same time there's always this sort of two sides what we do it's the arranging of the old stuff and then the writing the the new stuff and then so we began this sort of 
process of writing new songs based on maybe inspired by themes you would find um, in these folk stories or taking a melody from here or a lyric from here and um, yeah just creating something new um, for us it's kind of like the two sides of the same are you aware of the Orphan Brigade? The Orphan Brigade? I don't yeah. think so. No. Orphan Brigade, um, Nashville band of three songwriters. One of them's from Glenarm. Ben Glover's from Glenarm. Oh, yeah, I know Ben, yeah. So Ben would be in the Orphan Brigade. Uh-huh. And what happened was one of the Orphan Brigade grew up in a... I'm going to say Louisiana. I may be wrong, it may be Kentucky, but it was in a town where there was supposedly a ghost... Um, a haunted house. Okay. So what they decided to do was they went and they stayed in the haunted house for three days and wrote an album in the three days in the haunted house. <laughs> and it was only a one-off experiment. But when they gigged it in Italy, <laughs> how, how did that come? But they, they made an album and they gigged it in Italy. They were invited down into some of the catacombs. Okay. So they decided, nah, this is too good to be true. So they, they, they recorded an album in the catacombs. <laughs> um that was the second album. But the third album is the true album. The third album is from Glenarm to Bally Castle. And so um, Ben was determined to get them across to some of those myths and stories mm-hmm. from Glenarm to Bally Castle. So you have the Children of Lear and you have yep. um, the Black Nun and <clears throat> wonderfully John Prine sings um, a song in Glenarm Bay. Now he doesn't sing it in Glenarm Bay but it's a song about Glenarm Bay. And I was drawn to it by the Banshee because there's a song about the Banshee and that that's done in Glenarm Forest. <laughs> so they recorded the songs in the places oh, where, where the these happened. Okay, brilliant. So they were, some of them were literally on a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was in Glenarm Forest at midnight. <laughs> and they said that it got so spooky <laughs> that they lifted their instruments and started running at one point because they thought there were Banshees around them. <laughs> but it's, what you're doing there is exactly that. And it's... And it's, and it's so he's doing the east, he's doing the east to the north coast, and you're doing around Loch Ness. He, then we're doing the Morns. I mean, and it's a similar time. I think the album came out maybe nineteen. So the okay. Orphan Brigade East Coast album. So I'm just fascinated uh-huh. because yeah, I have they heard of this because this is the same thing. Uh-huh. I haven't. Well, I'll have to. Yeah, you I'll should. You should. Out, you should give it a listen, uh-huh. and you might get inspired to to more stuff. And when you talk about the songwriting, then sorry to to break in with that, but. When you talk about the songwriting, is that Lennon, McCartney and Harrison? Uh, is it Lennon? Is it McCartney? Is it Harrison? Uh, are the three, or do you just come... Zach's come with a song, Mike's come with a song, Donald's come with a song and the rest fell in, or how does that work? It's... Somebody would... One of us would come in with, with, with the idea, say maybe a verse and a chorus and the chords, or just the lyrics, or just an, a concept for a song and then we just bring it into the studio all together and we just we all just work it out um so yeah it's yeah all, all three of us you know write write the stuff and have um are always sort of researching stuff and looking into stuff so um no it's a real sort of free-for-all in, in the studio when we get together so it's a and as well as blending the harmonies, which you do marvellously well, you're the Ulster Scot in theory. <laughs> we have an Irish nationalist in theory. 
<laughs> and we have a British-Ukrainian in theory, and that's the three of you. Uh-huh. Um, but you are blended in what you are trying to say, as well as in the music you listen to. Now, that's even better for a modern Northern Ireland that that people are coming together with the same message, with mm-hmm. some sense of a united message. And if you take the song, is it Green Blues? Green Blues, yeah. Green yeah. Blues, uh-huh. which is not on an album, by the way. No, no, that I was... Can't, I can't buy that, I'm thinking. <laughs> yes, that I was... I can uh... get it on YouTube, but that's... Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you, for the fan, you need to... You know, we need a seven-inch single for record store okay, day. Okay, okay. But, because, um, I mean, that... Why... Who comes up with that, or... The intention so that of that was... It? <clears throat> that was written. That's a few years ago now. Um, that was written specifically for um, Frederick Douglass yeah. week yeah. in twenty eighteen. I think Donald was involved with that, um, and it's a great story about Frederick Douglass and and um, about a man born in slavery and in in the states finds his way over to to Ireland and goes around. Um, goes around, uh, you know, speaking, and um, he meets up with a few. I'm blanking on names here, but uh, so he's, he's he's talking to. He gets this is like eighteen, eighteen, mid eighteen hundreds, and he's he, he gets a chance to speak to the Irish going over to America, and the you know imparts the message of. You know, if you go over to America and the if you see people like me, you know, we're the same, we're on the same struggle. So you need to, that's, you need to look out for that. And uh, so that song was about how, uh, you know, the Irish in America kind of got their foothold, got their, got their claws in and maybe forgot, forgot that message. Um, so let me talk then, coming near... The end of this, so that everybody wants to come uh, on uh, the 9th of February to Orangefield Presbyterian Church for a night in conversation with True. Um, the two albums, the first one, you've talked about how you're discovering that as you're starting to blend your harmonies and write songs, and then that comes out, and then you have a bit of time to look at the second album, um, probably look back at what you did in the first before you look forward. Mm-hmm. What would you see as the difference between? the two records, is there one looking back or what you've learned and in, in the intentionality of the second? I don't know. Uh-huh. Well, I always see the first album as black and white when I listen to it. Maybe shades of grey in there. But the second album, Eternity Near, it feels like full colour. And that's uh, that comes to my mind when I listen to them because there's a sparse sort of starkness to no fixed abode, which which is what we were going for. Mm-hmm. That real simplicity, real simplicity. And then Eternity Near, a lot of that was us. We sort of introduced that sort of the Americana influence that we hadn't discovered, what we hadn't sort of used yet. And then that sort of opened up this whole array of uh, array of colours in the studio, and we just had a great time. Um, we were thinking about thinking about Brian Wilson and. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, that's sort of... So it's your revolver smile kind of thing? Uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, funny, one of the songs um, on Eternity Near Lovely Molly, we actually have another version of it, which is pure pet sounds. 
You see, Probably. I put in my review that I thought it was the White Album. <laughs> so, but it's, I've got the I've got the years yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The years are correct. But we, it was too. Um, we'll have to release it at some point because I I love it. But it didn't quite fit into the flow. So we all so we went back and we reworked "Lovely Molly" to be more um, in fitting with the once we had the flow of the album. But uh, yeah, so I suppose for Eternity in the Air, it's. Um, I think it's as well as the sort of new influences creeping in, I think it's a stronger album mm. in terms of the, com- the completeness of yeah, it. Yeah, it's a very sort cohesive of, record. Well, you know, it's bookended by this sort of, um, by Voices Beyond the Grave. And the first song, Long Black Veil, where we get the, the title from, Eternity Near. And then Urkel and Craigan at the end. And that's sort of, those sort of voices beyond the grave got us thinking about this idea of eternity and um, you know we're singing songs that are hundreds of years old that what is that why do we do that what does that mean what, what's what's that all about those are um, good songs Zach uh-huh. if you can last that long absolutely yeah the ones uh, that she was, she was the strength of the song and mm-hmm. how there's actual and obviously I'm interested in that mm-hmm. eternity bit because I work in that genre um, <laughs> But um, I'm interested in it because uh, in your record it's all kinds of different Irish senses of eternity. Um, there's no, I don't think there's a particularly dogmatic. This is the way there, or whatever else. So, so you're you're working on different stories that you're picking up, or the songs have that in them as. Because it's a very hopeful album in, in a post-Brexit mm-hmm. Ukrainian war with one of the band having a Ukrainian background. There's an incredible hopefulness in it without it being, without it missing the reality of the times yeah. we're in. Was that an intentional, let's look for songs that talk beyond? Or It seemed to, it's one of those things that you're you're drawn to particular songs. So we were drawn to songs that are on that album. And then you kind of, you get them all together and then you look back and you go, oh, there's something, there's a theme here that we didn't. So perhaps all those things that were happening, all the all the sort of uh, despair that we were feeling about certain things, about things going on in personal lives, the Ukraine stuff, the Brexit, the situation in, in Ireland in general, and finding... Feeling the despair in that, and looking for, I suppose, looking for answers in the in the old songs about what do we do, where do we go, and it's it's funny, and it's it's funny how you can read. You know, we're twenty twenty three. We think we're a sophisticated, fancy bunch, and then you read something that some monk wrote in the side of his paper in the ninth century, and you're like, oh, that's exactly what I feel and it's sort of and for me that's the essence of eternity near this uh, there's something yeah beyond us all the time as well as yeah uh-huh. it's, it's definitely definitely fascinating so you tell me there's maybe 20 songs tucked away somewhere is there a new album imminent or does it take a couple of years to tour that one and get that one sorbet almost <laughs> Yeah, we've still got a good bit of life in Eternity in the Air and uh, very much in that world. We're touring a good bit 
um, next year. But I say next year, we'll finish off the next album. And uh, we've already recorded a couple of tracks for it. And then, but who knows when that'll be. Who knows when that'll be out. But uh, I'm interested to see how. Well, so am I. Can't wait to hear it and can't wait to have you in conversation. Uh, the three of you will mm-hmm. tr- no doubt retread some of this ground and hear some of the stories from from the other guys. Um, but uh, thank you for coming in and being on our Soul Surmise podcast and uh, Eternity Near uh, is out, what, about six weeks? Yeah, about two months. Yeah. Yep. So well worth um, well worth picking up one vinyl CD and you can get them in Bandcamp and other places. Thank you, Zach. We will see Thanks, you Steve. on the 9th of February and we look forward to that. Looking forward to it. Nobody knows Nobody sees Nobody Listening to the Soul Surmise podcast with Steve Stockland. The series is produced in Hollywood by Peter Greer 